Hi, and welcome to The Caption Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I am your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels has to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals to roundtable discussions with passionate fans and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can find me on social media under the username at Caption Life. You can also find more episodes and information at thecapsonlife.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. In today's episode, we are going to talk about Will Eisner Week, uh, which takes place this year from March 1st through the 7th, so it's about a month away, and it celebrates the life of Will Eisner's contribution to comics and graphic novels, and there has been events for Will Eisner Week that's been hosted around the world, and it's been hosted at places such as libraries, schools, museums, colleges and universities, comic book stores, even pubs and restaurants. Now, if you don't know who Will Eisner is or the week that's dedicated to him that's completely fine because we're going to discuss this with a special guest today and that is Danny Fingerroth. Danny is a popular culture critic and historian, a longtime executive editor and writer at Marvel Comics with notable works such as Dark Hawk and Spider-Man, an award-winning author of several books such as The Marvelous Life, The Amazing Story of Stan Lee, Superman on the Couch, What Superheroes Really Tell Us About Ourselves and Our Society, and Disguised as Clark Kent, Jews, Comics, and the Creation of the Superhero. He is currently working on books about iconic 20th century figures Bob Dylan and Jack Ruby. He also works with the Eisner Studios and Foundation and serves as the chair of Will Eisner Week. Danny Fingeroth, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I am hanging in there. I'm doing okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's been Good. you know a very long week for me. So <laughs> oh, okay, well, me too. You know, like, I bet. Yeah. Somehow the past three years, every week has been long. You know, just uh, in, our, in our in our strange. In the strange world we live in now. I want to just put one quick footnote of your introduction. Yeah. Uh, all that stuff about Will Eisner Week, where it's celebrated, and of course we'll talk about it, but also online. Um, yes. Especially <laughs> since since the advent of COVID, we give we have some special options, uh, the pre-prepared material with uh, very cool people that we have for Will Eisner Week. But anyway, that's so, um, no, that's great to know. Yeah, that's good and great to share. So, yeah, no, and that makes total sense as well, too. So, thank you. Um, I, I have to share with you reading your bio. Um, yeah. You have a couple of books about, you know, um, uh, Jewish creators and comics and how much they've, you know, made an impact on the industry. And what's funny is just last week I had an episode about Jewish representation in comics and I had somebody on the show to talk about that. Who'd you have on? Uh, her name is Shasha Kaplan. She is a contributor for Comic Watch, which is what this podcast is part of that, uh, website where we review comics and films and stuff like that as well, too. And so, um, she is, um, she's a commentator as well, too. And, and and has done a lot of studies on um, on. She just finished her master's in history, actually. Uh, but she's uh, has a lot of experience and has a lot of um, uh, just just a lot of things to say about it. It's a really good conversation. So if you ever want to check it out, I definitely encourage you to to listen to that. Sasha interviewed me a few months ago for I guess. Oh, did she really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a small world. That's funny. <laughs> I'll let her know that you're on the show tonight. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. Hi, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, with every guest I have on the show, I always like to start with the same question. And uh, that question is, what's your comic book origin story? What was it um, that got you into comics? Was it a person? Was it an event? Was it an issue or anything like that? What kind of got you into comics and where you're at today? Boy, you know, this is um, to go way back. I guess it goes back to Popeye, you know? Oh, nice. Yeah. Popeye and my cousin Steve. I think I, um, <laughs> I you know, I, uh, as, a, as a little kid, I watched Popeye cartoons. And so my parents uh, bought me Popeye comic books. And uh, somehow I learned to read pretty early. Uh, but I think my mom, sort of this vague, very hazy memory, my mom reading me um, Popeye comics that were put out maybe by Gold Key. And, um, and somewhere around there, my cousin Steve... Um, who, uh, if you live in, uh, in New England might at some point have, um, done some dental work on you, but, um, <laughs> b- before he was, uh, doing dental work, he was, he was a, you know, he, he was a comics fan. I somehow have a memory of him giving me a bunch of comics, including adventure comics featuring Superboy. Uh, so 
but you know, and I also lived in a world where you'd get the Sunday paper that always had comics in it, and mm-hmm. it was a very it was a, it was just a ubiquitous medium. But as far as comic books, I think those would be the start. Uh, so probably the superhero stuff would have been Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, you know, the DC pantheon. I didn't have much interest in. Uh, I, I like some humor stuff, but I didn't have much interest in uh, westerns or war comics or uh, romance. I, I was mostly, you know, I definitely was intrigued by the superhero. And then the Marvel, I was the perfect age mm-hmm. for uh, Marvel comics to begin. You know, um, when, uh, you know, there, uh, there is, if you kind of look through the history of people who worked at and for Marvel, there's mm-hmm. a large clump of baby boomers, if you pardon the expression, um, <laughs> were born, you know, born in the uh, early to mid fifties, right. uh, because we were the, you know, and I think the reason for that is we were eight, nine, ten years old when Fantastic Four number one came out, and it just mm-hmm. blew our minds because, you know, we had never, you know, in comic book years and in kid years. If you've been reading comics for three or four years, well, that's half your life, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, and so you think you're jaded, you know everything, and then suddenly, the you know these Marvel comics come out. So that's, you know, and I, and I would say that my, you know, I had some, uh, and then I went I went to a small school with about fifty kids in my grade, and maybe there were two or three others who were into comics, and then some kids at summer camp, but they. You know, I don't know if we had a club, but we definitely there was something that bonded us that that we were the people who didn't just read comics for a year or two, but we read them and stuck with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I grew up in New York City, so it, it uh, at one point when I was in junior high school, my friend uh, David and I um, went to the Marvel offices and tried to get in to meet Stan, and we thought everybody worked in the bullpen, and mm-hmm. we. We were stopped from getting in by the legendary Flo Steinberg, who was very nice and gave us like um, the thing that became a pinup in one of the comics of the Fantastic Four uh, by Kirby and Ayers. She gave us a black, she was a black and white thing, which of course, from the company's point of view, was a lot cheaper to give us a black and white printout. <laughs> and for us, it was like woohoo, a coloring thing, you know? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We can be like the professionals. We can color it. So that's and uh, so that's 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 my art. You know, I'm not sure how. You know, I went. Um, um, then I then I became pretty strictly a Marvel guy. Also read Underground's. Uh, became a movie person. Studied film in college, and part of that sort of we. Uh, they, they used comics to sort of uh, show us the similarities between. Um, movies and and comics and um, mm-hmm. I'd sort of given up mainstream comics when I got to probably about when I got to college. It sort of you know the luster had, was off. Um, I think Marvel had settled into a formula and was repeating itself. And in retrospect, I can see that the people working on them were very talented professionals doing very good work but it it didn't have that explosive impact and for me anymore right you know uh that the stuff that i the first stuff um graduated college uh came back home as one does mm-hmm. my home happened to be new york city mm-hmm. and i thought gee uh what am i gonna do i have this uh i have this very interesting but not necessarily um commercial college degree well it might be fun to work at marvel comics for a few months (laughs) i knew somebody who knew somebody could get me in there on an informational tour Mm -hmm. and that i ended up um getting a job as uh larry lieber's assistant larry of course is stan lee's brother yeah yeah and larry had just come back from you know your comics history larry had left marvel to go uh, Martin Goodman had started a rival company uh-huh. called Atlas Seaboard. Mm-hmm. Larry had been the editor in chief there, but then that company folded, and Larry came back and he was running what was called the British Department. It was a line of reprint, mostly reprint, some new material, mm-hmm. comics done for the black and white British weekly market. And uh, he needed an assistant, and uh, so that 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 was my entry into being a comic book professional, and and particularly 
working at Marvel, mm-hmm. where I worked for the next 18 years. Oh, man. And That's... I, I, you know, I, I then after after uh, Larry, I, I worked with Louise Simonson and uh, Jim Shooter, and eventually um, I became the editor and group editor of the Spider-Man line. Yeah. And wrote a lot of comics with Spider-Man, Dark Hawk, and so on. Right. That's amazing. So you, you weren't even trying to get into Marvel Comics, you know, like intentionally after after your college. That was just something that you happened to go into and you just fell in love with it, right? You know, I had a few jobs. You know, I, I didn't think I wanted to move to California. And and, uh-huh. and the New York uh, comic industry, the New York film industry at that point uh, was somewhat limited – to mostly like industrials, commercial, and porn. And I didn't really oh, – Okay. <laughs> and I had some assisting jobs in all those, you know, literally schlepping, literally just like, you know, carrying stuff and, you know, moving stuff around and and, and mat- doing negative matching. Um, so I I knew I wanted to be involved in some kind of creative field. But you're right. I, it, when, I was, look, when I was a kid, of course, I did – you know, I wanted to be Jack Kirby because that's right. sort of – you know, as as much as I may have admired and enjoyed what Stan and Roy and everybody else did, the it, it's a visual medium. When you're a kid, it's like that's the explosive thing. So I want, you know, and I I have some drawing ability, but not not at a professional level. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know. So so you're right. But I mean, I you know, I, anything I was going to target as far as looking for a job after spending a year doing sort of just uh, assisting type jobs or office type jobs. Um, this, this, um, you know, I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't know it would become a full-on career. I thought I would still perhaps do something with film or academics or even, or even the restaurant business. I was interested in cooking and food. Oh, cool! Yeah. Um, but Marvel was, um, you know, a strange but wonderful place. It yeah. Was, it was, it was um, and it was a, a, a fascinating mix, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Of the creative and the commercial, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you did work with a lot of interesting, creative, imaginative, quirky people. Uh, and you did, you know, there was that whole thing of working on the characters I grew up loving um, mm-hmm. in the comics. But then there were deadlines and salaries and, and vouchers. And, and, you know, it was – and I, I liked that. I liked – I like that it was neither all business nor was it all, uh, you know, purely uh, head in the clouds. Mm-hmm. I like that 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 you could use your imagination and your creativity, but there was still a practical side. And you know, you got this thing as good as you could get it, but it had to leave on Tuesday. You know? and, <laughs> yeah, and 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 in the comic company, it's funny there was. You know, in the in the days before you could transmit stuff digitally, uh-huh. there there was literally, um, especially for the British stuff, we'd prepare the boards, but they publish it in England. Okay, we would literally give it to a guy on a motorcycle mm-hmm. who would then have to like take it to the airport and get the boards to England. You know, mm-hmm. and once in a while, and this happened only once in the couple of years that I did that, it fell off the bot. You know, somehow. Somewhere in transit, the uh, the boards got lost, and we had to recre- you know recreate an entire issue overnight. That was very uh, so no exciting. <laughs> you know, so that, but I mean, that does give you, you know, you don't want to slack on something, but you have a deadline, and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, you, you get uh, for the monthly comic, you get eleven more times that year to get it right. You know, <laughs> hopefully, you get it right more than you get it wrong. Right, so, right. And I'll just say that the because of the nature, it's the nature of human nature, but certainly the nature of the fact that comics that you're doing them for uh, often, you know, especially in those days for children. Right. Means that the thing that you make cringe when you look at and see in print, oh my God, how did that ever get out? <laughs> Somebody will always come up to you at a convention and say, that changed my life. It's the greatest thing I ever read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> um, you know, when you were talking about, you know, having your head in clouds where you still have a deadline on Tuesday. That remind me, we had somebody on the show and I can't remember who it was, but I think this person, um, you know, said it really well and said that, you know, sometimes a lot of people always wish that, you know, they could 
perfect what they're working on more and, you know, wish they just had more time. And the way that they've kind of accepted where they're at that made them feel good about what they put out is that they said, this is the best that I can do at that time. Mm-hmm. And I think framing it like that does, I know it always helps me a lot, you know, cause, cause even though that was more of a, you know, artist and, and writer type of uh, scenario that he was giving, it's actually helped me oh. as a, you know, general creative as well too, to think about, I wish, I, you know, if I ever thought about, I wish I could do this or I wish I could do that um, or have more time, I kind of feel better about thinking it in terms of this was the best I could do for the, given that amount of time and everything. And so I feel really good about that. And so that just kind of remind me of, of that saying that that um, creator had said that has made me feel really good and appreciate what I've been able to create and not get harped on, um, you know, it could have been better or it could have been, you know, if I only had more time because, it still was pretty good when you put it out there and you just have to think about you didn't have the time that you needed or wanted to be able to get it just right to what you have. But it was still pretty good at the end of the day. So exactly. Everything could be well, everything could be better and or just, you know, worried to death. You know, I mean, that's yeah, right. yeah. at a certain point. If you keep working on something, you might it might lose the initial thing that uh, that it had and that that made you want to. Do it. It's very tricky, and the you know the deadline is your friend, right? Um, right. You know, yeah. Uh, the de- because you know, especially. I mean, look now in the digital era, you can rework things literally. Uh, well, not literally, but you know, mm-hmm. virtually forever. You know, um, um, so the fact that that something has to come out um, in print, you know, in 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 a nuts and bolts, uh, brick and mortar, whatever you want to call it, way. Right. Yeah, it's very, it, it's very good. I mean, there's, you know, there's films. Well, obviously, the films I made as a student, I, I could certainly go back and improve. But I mean, the idea that, yeah, just get, finish it, get it as good as you can, move on, which is not, you know, um, because that's how you get better is you keep doing more stuff, not not going back and reworking you right. know, something over and over and over. Right, right. Exactly, yeah. So, in talking about, your work for Marvel and, and how you're known for not just uh, your work as a writer and editor for Marvel, but also your uh, books that you've authored as well, too. Um, as your bio states, that's what you're best known for. But you also work with the Eisner Studio as a foundation. Um, and I, so I wanted to ask you, can you tell us a little bit more about what uh, the Eisner Studio as a foundation does as well, too, um, but what you do for them as well? OK, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go back a little bit to my origin because I think that's important. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, when I was 12, so those of you who are good at math and figure out exactly how old I am, <laughs> and do not believe Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> um, when I was 12, Jules Pfeiffer put out a book called The Great Comic Book Heroes. You ever see that book? I have not, no. Oh, well, then, you know, immediately after this, go online and get a copy. I'll tell okay. you. Can, okay. I will do uh, that. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are different versions. Of anyway, Jules Pfeiffer, you know that name? Jules Pfeiffer? Uh, sounds familiar, but okay. it's not uh, ringing a bell right now. Pfeiffer actually connects directly to Eisner. Pfeiffer. Okay, okay. But Jules Pfeiffer is one of the most famous cartoonists in the world. So, and, uh, um, and started out in comic Star- Anyway, Pfeiffer put a book called The Great Comic Book Heroes. It was, um, in a pre-internet, pre-comic scholarship, in a totally different era, mm-hmm. you know, it was 1965. It was less than 10 years after the Senate hearings on comics, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, this book, great comic book heroes had a commentary by Jules Pfeiffer, who's a screenwriter, author, children's book, author, cartoonist, graphic novelist, uh, just turned 94, still going strong. Oh, wow. Great. And, um, so this was the first time most people in my generation had seen excerpts from the 1930s and 40s comics. Okay. The Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. Captain America, uh, Half a Dozen Plastic Man, uh, Hawkman, and The Spirit. Mm-hmm. I had never heard of The Spirit. Mm-hmm. Spirit had stopped publishing in 1952, mm-hmm. uh, before I was born. Um and I was blown away. I mean, I, you know, I mean, the whole book, you know, I, th- I think, I think, I think the book stands the test of time 
Pfeiffer's a very good writer and his insights are, so, you know, he worked. Uh, anyway, so the spirit, what the hell is the spirit? I've never <laughs> seen this before. It's certainly not Superman or Batman, mm-hmm. but I'm digging it. You know, it's like an eight or seven or eight page story full of atmosphere and drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I wanted to know more. And then I don't think I was alone because, uh, and this was at a pivotal time in Will Eisner's life and career where he was sort of, um, so anyway, so that was my introduction to the spirit. Mm-hmm. And then sort of in, in um, at that period, the Batman TV show would debut in early 66. Right. And so there was this whole quote unquote camp movement that was <laughs> this idea that, you know, that comic books, they will still look down on, but they would look like as kind of, you know, quaint, funny, uh, old time kid stuff mm-hmm. like the Batman show was. But, you know, but that, you know, Stan started calling the Marvel comics, Marvel pop art productions for a few months. Okay. Um, and uh, Harvey Comics put out uh, two um, two uh, large size, you know, large size, large than many pages mm-hmm. uh, compilations of spirit reprints, you know, that that Eisner worked on with Harvey uh, Comics. So I mm-hmm. got those. I learned more and more, and um, so uh, so then and then and at that same period, Eisner was discovering. Uh, we were talking about the late sixties or into the early seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was the spirit? Um, so anyway, Eisner, Will Eisner, who I'll explain in a minute, then decided, um, he wanted to know, he had been doing comics for industrial and government, uh, uh, uh clients. He had gone from doing the spirit. Okay. Will, I'll, I'll wind back further. Um, 19, uh, whatever the, the early 20th century. Will Eisner is born in 1917. Okay, he's born in Brooklyn. His family moved to the Bronx. Uh, you know, bitterly poor. Um, I think he had a brother, and I think he had a sister as well. Um, and Eisner was gifted as an artist. He was he was the artist in his school newspaper. He went to do with Clinton High School in the Bronx, where a lot of comic Bob Kane, Stan Lee. Erwin Hazen, uh, Bill Finger, every, mm-hmm. that, that was a, the many, many comic and, and other, and other, um, and, and other fields, uh, uh creators and uh, professionals went there. It was an old boys school, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the Bronx. Um, so Eisner did a lot of the art for his, um, high school paper, he ended up uh, doing advertising work. And then, uh, he ran into Bob Kane on the street one day, Bob Kane, gave him a tip on where to find some work. And um, there he met a guy named Jerry Iger. Together they formed a studio called the Eisner and Iger Studio. Mm-hmm. Packaged comics. There were comics were having that first big boom post-Superman. Right. Comics have been around for years. They were doing fine. Uh, mm-hmm. major, major Malcolm Wheeler-Nicholson, who uh, you should talk to his granddaughter, Nikki Wheeler-Nicholson, for your show, mm-hmm. uh, uh, started what became DC Comics. So there's, you know, so... The whole history of comics, superheroes, boom! Everybody wants a superhero, right? Um, Eisner um, lets himself let's, let's, but before that, they created a lot of stuff: um, Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, uh, the Blackhawks, a, uh, a lot of different characters, um, many of which you've heard of, many of which you haven't. Mm-hmm. Eisner would sign his name. Uh, a different name to every strip he did to give the impression they had a big staff. He was <laughs> Will, Willis Renzi. He was W. Morgan Steele. He was, uh, <laughs> um, but eventually they did get like a large group of people working in almost a, a, an assembly line kind of thing with artists and writers uh-huh. uh, at drawing boards. Eisner though um, uh, went out on his own to do. Um, for a syndicate, for a small newspaper syndicate mm-hmm. that wanted to, to cash in on the big superhero craze, they hired him uh, to do um, a newspaper insert. If you if you remember if you if you remember newspapers, then you remember Sunday newspapers <laughs> with like the TV listing mm-hmm. insert or just an advertising insert or a magazine insert. The spirit section was like that. Right. It was sixteen pages with a self cover. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that it had the spirit and then several other features by a lot of artists uh, who um, you might have heard of, Lou Fine, uh, Klaus Nordling, and Jules Pfeiffer, who was a teenager then, who talked himself into a job at Eisner's and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, wrote a lot of scripts, drew a lot of stuff. Um, so the spirit um, – so Eisner was producing – there is 64 pages of comics a month. Uh, talk about a dead, oh wait, 18. Yeah. He had, he had to produce a 16 page comic book every week, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot, especially. And he was uh, a pretty good business, a very good businessman and a, a, an innovative writer and artist. So his stories were just full of atmosphere and drama and um, they kind of, you know, a PG rated sort of sex appeal and the spit and the spirit was this very he was technically you know they call them costumed adventurers or mass adventurers the word superhero didn't really exist then but mm-hmm. you know the, the, so the story goes that um the syndicate said we want a superhero and eisner drew uh the spirit you know it was a guy who wears a, a suit and tie and a fedora mm-hmm and uh, they said, well, that's not a superhero so he or a costume adventure or whatever. So Eisner drew a mask and, on him and gave him, gave him gloves. <laughs> and somehow they, you know, they accepted that as close enough to being a superhero. <laughs> well, if Superman uh, can wear glasses and be right. transformed, right? <laughs> and, he had a, and he had like a superhero origin. He was, um, he was Denny Colt, a private investigator mm-hmm. uh, who was um, in a battle with Dr. Cobra. And uh, he was doused with a, uh, a chemical solution that uh, they thought killed him, but really put him in suspended animation. Mm. Anyway, so, but then he <laughs> came back to life. That's why he's called the spirit. Mm-hmm. And, um, although he wasn't really dead, he was just in suspended animation. Anyway, he, so he became um, uh, a noir kind of character. Mm-hmm. If he did have a superpower, it was just to get beat up a lot. And he could really take a beating. Right. Um, but he was charming and uh, unflappable. Um, and, and, um, and Eisner used it as a platform to tell almost different kinds of short stories. There were some stories where the spirit, no, there were ones where the spirit was very active, mm-hmm. but there were ones where he was almost a guest in his own book. Right. Um, at one point, uh, you're a daredevil guy, so this might be of interest to you. Right. Um, you know, there was a story about this the spirit and a girl he knew as a ki- as a teenager named S- whose name was Sans Serif. Eisner always did puns like that. Sans Serif is a is a kind of a, is a typeface, right? Yeah, Sans Serif. Let's say there's many similarities between the origin of Sans Serif and the spirit. There's a, there's a, you might find it reminiscent of the of the Matt Murdock Electra. Uh, I will have to check that out. Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. You know, a lot of things, and I and Eisner was so Eisner loved short stories with O. Henry and Guy de Maupassant uh, type uh, endings. Mm-hmm. He was he was an artist that other artists were inspired by. Just he, you know, um, there was a period when he went he he went into the army and uh, was doing um, propaganda and um, informational comics for the army. Mm-hmm. So while he was in the army, uh, there were. He, there, ironically, there were people ghosting the spirit. Artists like, but very good, you know, Lou Fine and Jack Cole, mm-hmm. you know, some of the greats of, of the uh, golden age of comics. Um, but for the most part, Eisner did the heavy lifting of the writing and and uh, drawing uh, of the strip. But again, for with a you know with a weekly deadline like that, he often had assistance. But the the voice was always his, you know, right. the vision, and he was especially for the era head and shoulders over about just about anybody else drawing comics. He, he had a real gift for the medium, you know, and, and understood what you could also make use of from cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and did, you know, so he was, um, what the hell was your question? What was, uh, well, my question was, What's the Eisner Studios Foundation? What you do for them? Okay. But oh, but I yeah. did have a question about who Will Eisner is. So this is okay. actually it works right. out. We're just flipping right. it around. Yeah, but oh, Eisner. So, Eisner, <laughs> so it's it's never in a million papers. It's a small syndicate, but I mean, it's still probably read by several million people every week. Maybe right. tens. Of 
you know, because that was the main entertainment and news people got was newspapers. Mm-hmm. So every Sunday, um, 1952, uh, Eisner gives it up and goes full time into um, into doing uh, the the uh, corporate and uh, military and and other commercial comics. You know, so comic studio for hire again. Mike Plue, Leslie Cabarga, mm-hmm. you know, many people who would go on to be legends themselves worked for Eisner in his very in the studio. Right. Um, 1971, Eisner's hearing about these underground comics. He goes to a comic convention. He meets Art Spiegelman, Dennis Kitchen, uh, mm. S. Clay Wilson, all the all the giants of of uh, underground comics. Mm-hmm. He realizes, okay, he's, I'm a middle aged guy. I'm not doing, you know, crazy Robert Crumb underground comics. But what I, what Will took away was comics aren't just for kids anymore. You know, the corner right. Yeah, that people who grew up who understand the visual syntax of comics mm-hmm. might looks like there might be an audience for a comic, or as he would come to call it, sequential art. Mm-hmm. That would tell a more mature, and by mature, I don't mean, you know, pornographic. I mean a mature literary uh, story with uh, with more adult story values. And that's what he proceeded to do with uh, the first, with his first graphic Not This is, an as you know comics people, so you know it's an endless debate. What was the first graphic novel? What was the first use of the term? <laughs> Among the first, and certainly the most high profile of the early graphic novels, mm-hmm. was Will Eisner's <laughs> contract with God. <laughs> right, right. And Will didn't stop with one graphic novel. He, that was 1978. He lived till 2005. And he probably put out about 25 graphic novels over that period, um, many of which... Uh, were not the spirit. They were sort of the opposite. It was not action. He did a little bit of action adventure, mm-hmm. but most of it was thinly veiled memoir um, about Jewish life in New York in the first half of the 20th century. You know, that mm-hmm. that was, he wanted to be, and some people, including me, consider him the equivalent in comics of Saul Bellow, Bernard Malamud, Philip Roth, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from that, Will so there's this body of work. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, Will became a cheerleader and evangelist for the medium of graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Um, he became a friend to and a champion of young people who wanted to express themselves in this medium in ways that weren't superhero comics and that weren't Archie comics. Not there's anything wrong with that, right. but people who had more personal vision. And so Will. Uh, gave advice, um, went to librarians' conferences and retailers' conferences and comic conventions, uh, championing. I mean, there's a book that Paul Levitz wrote called Will Eisner, Champion of the Graphic Novel, because that's, you know, we look at, we look at it now, we go, well, ev- everybody can see, look how big, you know, manga and graphic novels and Mouse won the Pulitzer Prize and, mm-hmm. you know, Wimpy Kid is popular and, and Captain Under, you know, I mean, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. you know I mean, Dogman. <laughs> Dogman, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But, but this was, this was not the case in the 70s and 80s and even 90s where, you know, people still had to be convinced that comics were a legitimate storytelling medium, like movies, like television, like novels, mm-hmm. uh, like painting. Um, and so Will just spent, you know, up up to and including, you know, where he lent his name to the Eisner Awards, which are, you know, generally they consider you know, the Oscars of the comic industry. You know, right. They're, they're given. I mean, it used to be until he died, you, you could literally get an Eisner Award from Will Eisner. You know, he got <laughs> on stage there. That's cool. Uh, yeah. You know. Um, so, uh, so he died in two thousand five, and in two thousand nine, I believe the um, Carl and Nancy Grapper, who run um, the Eisner Studios and the Will and Ann Eisner uh, Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, decided um, that they wanted to start 
you know, here's the deal. Right? I mean, you know, I mean, I gave you a hard time before, but <laughs> you, know, you, you told me you have not read any of Eisner's work. And I think there's a lot of people like that right. who, who sort of know the name, but they kind of think of it like spinach, you know, not the Popeye version of spinach. <laughs> Maybe right. you know, they know that Eisner's work is good for you, but they're not sure why. Uh-huh. And, you know, and 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 uh, so it seems. So of course, as as the as Will's descendants, they of course, you know, for both personal and commercial reasons, wanted his work to not be forgotten. But on a very serious level, in terms of comic scholarship and comics history, and just letting people know that the work is—I mean, this incredible, astonishing body of work. You know, this guy is from that old school, that old greatest generation era, like it's Monday, I'm at my desk, it, you know, it's Tuesday, you know, just boom. And he was very fast and very good and just did it, you know, in terms of the, you know, 12 years of the spirit, mm-hmm. uh, several textbooks that he wrote, you mm-hmm. know, also taught for many years at the School of Visual Arts in New York. A lot of, again, a lot of your favorite artists were probably trained by Will Eisner. Right, right. So there's this legacy um, so, so the, uh, the foundation and the studio wanted to start something called Will Eisner Week, mm-hmm. which, um, Eisner was born March 7th, uh, 1917. So, so it's, it's celebrated around his birthday, but I must, again, it is a week. I mean, right. week is the name. However, <laughs> we have been known to celebrate, you know, if somebody has an event, they want to, they, for whatever reason, have to do in February all the way through until like early April, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can brand it Will Eisner week. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Right. So, right. You know, um, but so in, 20, in 2009, they started with two events. I know. And, you know, I think I had done a lecture at Columbia University on Will Eisner, mm-hmm. which was a little, um, which was sort of funny because, uh, you know, it was like an Eisner 101, which, you know, um, and uh, I may be getting two events mixed up, but there was one where Jules Pfeiffer was in the audience. I told him about it. Oh, cool. And let me, you know, Jules, look, when you look up Jules Pfeiffer, you'll see yeah. what this guy done and does, you know. So, I mean, I was, he didn't tell me to the last minute he was coming, which I was grateful for because I would have been a nervous wreck if I knew he was <laughs> Right. So I'm like, you know, I'm pontificating, you know, Will Eisner this, Will Eisner that, blah, 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 blah. And here's this story, you know, and I'm an expert on it, let me tell you. And Jules mm-hmm. raises his hand and says, uh, I wrote that story when I was 17. <laughs> <laughs> said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to sit down now. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> it was one of the most famous, it's a story called 10 minutes one of the most famous will eisner story you know yeah you know, kind of the the premise is uh what's 10 minutes in a man's life and of course obviously the story will demonstrate what mm-hmm. demonstrate what 10 minutes in a man's life is so um but way before so i think that might be where Carl and Nancy Gropper saw me uh, talk about Eisner. It was a talk, I think, somewhere. Anyway, they asked me to do to to host an event in a uh, basement of um, of Hanley's, uh, Jim Hanley's in New York, and I did that. And then uh, then we started talking about how can we expand this, you know. And so we, you know, it just you know because it, the 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 you know the motto or the mandate of Will Eisner Week is to expand consciousness of Will Eisner and his career, but also of comics and sequential art, the graphic novel, mm-hmm. free speech. Um, and, um, and how do we get the word out? You know, this, this, so what we've done is we have a network of uh, comic retailers, uh, academics, uh, people in museums, people in bookstores all over the world mm-hmm. online and our, and our requests from them. And, and, uh, you know, is, if you can, can you do an event that, that, you know, branded Will Eisner week, um, we're very loose about, you know, we, we don't, you know, we don't approve or disapprove people's content. Right. Can you do some kind of event. We'll help you promote it on the Will Eisner website. Mm-hmm. We'll send you a, a handbook of things you can do and suggestions. Uh, we'll be a clearinghouse for ideas. We have a, you know, a couple of different, and then we have an advisory board and a, and a, um, and an organizing committee um, of, of, of very accomplished people. But the idea is spread the word about comics, spread mm-hmm. about whatever way, shape, or form. 
and uh, if you think of it, you know, spread the word about Will Eisner personally too, because he's the impetus behind us doing this. We'll send you posters, um, you know. So that and we've um, had we've it's grown from I think one or two. I think there was a second event in New York in the same year. Mm-hmm. Grown to over a hundred events worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, as I say, when the when the COVID uh, uh, shutdown started, we also created a, um, a dozen. Um, uh, online videos that um, that people can use it in addition to or or, or as their whole program. But we have I just want to read if you want to read some of the names of people. We have um, Paul Levitt, Dennis Kitchen, Dan Chicade, uh Susan Kirtley, who's a professor in uh, Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, um, Todd McFarlane, Gene Yang, Jerry Kraft. Um, you know a lot of and and yeah. and. Uh, you know, people talking about Will Eisner and some of them in, uh, giving lessons, talking about different topics. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best way to find those is go to uh, YouTube and look up Will Eisner Week because there's uh, some of the other some because of some of the weird YouTube technical rules. Uh, if I give you a link, <laughs> it doesn't always work. But if, anyway, so right. so so Will so that is what Will Eisner Week is, and uh, um, it it's just. Terrific, you know, and, and and we do an event. I personally uh, lead an event every year in New York at Ben Catcher's New York uh, Picture Story Symposium, which is put on through Parsons, where Ben, who if you don't know Ben Catcher's work, check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, ben is the recipient of a MacArthur Genius Grant for his cartooning. Oh, you know, great! He teaches he teaches at the New School, which is which Parsons is a part of. Right, and and. Um, and he, we're still doing them uh, strictly online through him. But I'm doing, I'm doing something on the March seventh. Actually, it's a, it's a version of something that I did in, that we did in San Diego at the San Diego Con. Because oh, part cool. of what I, do, I also, you know, I'm, I, I, sort of my role as chair Will Eisner Week has evolved to be sort of a general consultant, and then um, I do panels uh, on behalf of the Eisner uh, Studios and Foundation at San Diego and other conventions. Mm-hmm. So this this panel is called Banned Comics: Old Problems, New Forms, <laughs> uh, and it's going to be on March seventh. Uh, it's going to be me, Jeff Smith, who does Bone, of course, Jerry Kraft of New Kid, Dennis Kitchen, who's Dennis Kitchen, mm-hmm. Jeff Trexler, the acting director of the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, and Michael Dooley, uh, who's a, a comics professor in Los Angeles, um, and I'll be moderating. Uh, so that that that's specifically what I'll be doing, but there will. I hope we will get at least a hundred events and, and we certainly seem to have them. So what you can do, well, now it's February. So it's February. We're recording this in February 5th. Right. Um, if you want to do if you know, and I don't mean just you, I mean, if you guys out there right. want to do something and you have a venue to do it, by all means do it. If you want to use some of our material, we also have, Two uh, terrific documentaries on Will that we can send you to, to that you can screen. Oh, uh, awesome! Portrait of, sequential, of a sequential artist, and and the other is uh, Will Eisner, um, occupation uh, cartoonist. They're both terrific. Um, is it like like you'll send a DVD or something like that, or is uh, it? I think, it's, I think a DVD. Okay. May, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I guess at this point, maybe we should start sending uh, links or downloads. <laughs> but I think a DVD. Right. So if you have a store or a library, I know it's a little short notice, but you know, but some people yeah. you know, have not planned things. And so certainly, you know, if, if you just want to attend, then see if there's something in your community or nearby. But if, if you want to do something either in person or online, you know, we, you know, we have these assets and we would love you to do it. It just, um, you know, there's a lot of different Will Eisner and, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hell of a career that a guy starts it at like age, um, you know, 22, whatever, 20, mm-hmm. 20, 22, and keeps going. Literally, he was working on a graphic novel. He had just finished, just before he died, a graphic novel um, about uh, modern anti-Semitism. Oh, um, wow. Kind of a, a debunking of the uh, that horrific um, Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was a forgery and a fraud, but the people still believe exists oh yeah that that just came up like recently yeah 
Oh, well, Eisner did a book called, um, it's called The Plot, The Plot, the, the story of the protocols of the relative designs. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was working until just a few days before he died. And he was one of those, you know, there's, there's, there's some people, what I think what made Eisner stand out, you know, from most of his peers, mm-hmm. was maybe, maybe Stan Lee would be an exception, a couple other people, Kirby. He never stopped innovating. He never just said, mm-hmm. you know, I figured out a system to draw the figure in action. I figured out a formula to tell a story. He was he was always trying new things and was always interested in new technology, mm-hmm. you know, online comics, digital art. You know, he was he was a person who even though he was um I guess eighty seven when he died. Mm-hmm had the curiosity of like a 25 year old, you know, he, despite his accomplishments and, um, you know, and, and, and all, and, and fame he had, he, he never lost interest in what was coming around, you know, the best, best, you know, best ways for retail, you know, it ranged everywhere because he was strong both creatively and in business. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sort of that's the classic sort of his parents. His mother was very kind of hard-headed and practical, and his father was kind of a dreamer and an artist, and Will somehow managed to synthesize the two of them. And and he had some great tragedy in his life that, that fueled certainly contract with God. So, um, you know, the, so so he's not, He's not like most. He was not like most eighty-seven-year-olds. You know, so right. that when when he did die, you know, um, he had serious heart problems and he'd been in for surgery. Everybody was shocked, right? I mean, there's certain, right? Like, you know, sort of. If you just look at a, you know, just a uh, uh, an actuarial table, okay, eighty-seven years old, heart condition. Mm-hmm. You know, shouldn't be shocked, but we were shy. You know, there, 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 there are some people, especially in comics, but I guess in a lot of fields. So that, so there's a legacy, there's a body of work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, it would be, it would be work that people I think would enjoy and be inspired by. Um, which is why, you know, why we're even talking about him. Um, so that's so that's I think what Will Eisner week what I do for them and <laughs> <laughs> yeah well Danny I have to say that um, you know as we talked about before I'm still you know kind of a, a new person to comics in the sense that I got away from it a long time ago and now I'm coming back sure. and trying to get back into it and as you mentioned Will Eisner is one of the people that I've always heard about but didn't know much about him and so talking to you about his life and legacy and Will Eisner week and how we can get involved with it whether we want to you know put on an event to celebrate him or you know a comic genre or anything like that um, and and letting us know how we can do that um, in a lot of different ways this was very informational very educational very enlightening and I really appreciate learning more from you about this great person that has laid the found uh, the foundation for uh, the comics industry. And so this is really great. And, and I know that I have a lot of listeners who are also either, you know, new to comics or, you know, wanting to get into comics and, and might even have some people that have been reading comics a long time that is maybe the same bill as me that they, you know, may have heard of Will Eisner, but don't know much about him. So this is really great. And I really appreciate that. This is really, really nice. So right, can I throw in a couple of footnotes? Quickly? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the spirit work is all. It's, the spirit has been reprinted in a hundred different formats, including uh, in a in a hardcover DC, um, you know, whatever the masterworks thing is. So there's right that that stuff is around, um, and and like an omnibus, not an omnibus, not that size. But okay, more like the masterworks format. But oh, gotcha. DC, okay, okay. But those have been. It's called the Will Eisner Library or the Spirit Library. Um, and uh, the graphic novels are in print. Um, you can certainly find Contract with God and, and, and uh, To the Heart of the Storm mm-hmm. and the plot. Um, a footnote I did want to put in about the Jules Pfeiffer book, Great Comic Book Heroes. It originally came out in a fairly large size coffee table format with large size reproductions of the comics, including that spirit story. Mm-hmm. 
there's also an edition that I think Fantagraphics put out that's just Jules Pfeiffer's text, which is great. Right. But just be aware if you get that version, you won't get the reprinted comics. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just, uh, I, I, I would hate for somebody to go, boy, Danny made that sound so great. And I got this Fantagraphics one that's a uh, used copy for whatever. So, Wait a minute. There's no comics in here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes sense. No, yeah, I appreciate you clarifying that. So that's good. <laughs> now, Danny, um, you also, to kind of switch gears from talking about Will Eisner to some of your work, currently um, you're working on a Jack Ruby book. And you also, um, as you mentioned before, you're a biographer of Stan Lee. I want to give you the, the opportunity because I know you said you wanted to share that a little bit. Um, what do you want to share with us about the work that you have with Stan Lee and, and your yeah. current work about uh, Jack Ruby coming out on comics? Jack Ruby, not Jack Kirby. Just want to be sure people... Right, right. Were, Jack Ruby although, and not Kirby. <laughs> although Jack Kirby once drew a story about Jack Ruby. Oh. Um, <laughs> he did for Esquire magazine. Yeah. Um, well, you know, just... Uh, look, I have this interest in these uh, founders of comics, obviously. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and uh, Stan Lee was, was in that group, you know, uh, mm-hmm. starting out like Eisner as a teenager. Um, so I wrote a biography in 2019 that came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. I call The Marvelous Life, The Amazing Story of Stan Lee. Uh, there's other biographies. Mine was the first that came out uh, after he died. Uh, and I like to think that I, I knew Stan. I was friendly with him. I worked with him quite a bit. But I wouldn't consider myself in his inner circle, which I think in some ways makes me the perfect person to write a biography of Stan Lee as an insider in the comic book business who knows how the sausage gets made. Right. Um, and admired and liked Stan, but I, I, I think, um, you know, I tried to not write a hagiography. I tried to write a reasonably, uh, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, fair and balanced, but a, a, a real, you know, n- not putting neon, neon signs and organ, dramatic organ music to, anything good or bad he did, but sort of laying out the information. Not everybody agrees. Some people, you know, just think that because I worked at Marvel, it's impossible for me to be objective. I, you know, I, I think they're wrong. Um, there have been other views of Stan that are perhaps not, uh, not that kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I did that book and I'm proud of that. And I think it's, I think because Stan started in the comic business in 1940 at age 17, it also becomes a history of the comic book business in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, with Stan as the focus and, and sort of explains, you know, sort of the differences and the similarities be- between him and a Will Eisner, for instance, you know? Right. Um, so I had in the book some of the last interviews ever done with Stan. You know, I can't say, you know, since since he was interviewed by somebody new every you know, every other day, I can't claim they're the last, but I think, I think they're the some of the later ones by someone who understood what he did for a living in comics, as opposed to someone who might just have known him as the guy from the cameos. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so it's called "A Marvelous Life: The Amazing Story of Stan Lee." And if you've enjoyed this uh, interview and and uh, and my lovely voice. Well, I also did the audio book. So imagine <laughs> 14 hours of this <laughs> in, in your headphones or in your car. Right. How could you, how could you not? You know? <laughs> that did disabuse me. I used to think I didn't have much of a New York accent, but people will compliment me and they'll say, oh, we really love that audio book, especially your genuine New York accent. And so <laughs> yes, I have one. Um, also, just a, another quick sales pitch. Uh, my two earlier books, Disguised as Clark Kent and Superman on the Couch, mm-hmm. although they came out uh, quite a while ago, I only did the audio books for them last year. Oh, okay. So, uh, so the audio, those are available at all the usual sources. Um, I then figured I'd been pitching for a long time with an artist named Rick Geary, mm-hmm. uh, a graphic novel about Jack Ruby, who, if you, who was the guy who killed Lee Harvey Oswald in that very famous picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Oswald is the guy who who was the presumed assassin of John F. Kennedy. Let's not get into that. But anyway. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, so Ruby was a really weird, strange, interesting guy. Um, and I decided, well, now you know, now that I've written a biography of somebody in comics, and and that's written, and my other books are historical in nature. Um, I wanted to try to write something 
to see if I could write a biography of um, somebody who's not a comics world. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, so now the, the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination is coming up. And Ruby is a figure that everybody knows the name, everybody knows the image, but a lot of people don't know much about him. And he had a really crazy life. And he, because he was, you know, in show business, even though it was the strip club business in Dallas, he ended up knowing a lot of like, so was, oddly, Jack Ruby's life intersects with a lot of celebrities. So um, I do not solve the mysteries of the Kennedy assassination. I, uh, <laughs> I, did, not, I did not think that uh, I was, maybe that'll be my next book, but this book, <laughs> I just wanted to, I mean, you, when you write a book about anything involving the Kennedy assassination, you have to obviously touch on them and talk about them. But I really wanted to talk about this guy, and I and I have some interviews and uh, journals of people from that era, including Jack's rabbi, who visited oh. him on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I think it's a, you know, it's I, I I've just finished uh, uh, writing the first draft and sent it into my editor, and it'll be out um, from Chicago Review Press in uh, you know in, in the fall in time for the anniversary. So that's that's the Jack Ruby book. So um, you know, I'm curious to see if I succeeded or not in doing something that's about somebody uh, who's not in comics. The Stan Lee book is by is uh, from St. Martin's Press, Macmillan, by the way. That. I gotcha. So that, uh, and then I have a bunch of, and, and then actually I'm an ongoing consultant to the um, Marvel traveling exhibition that's been in different cities all over the country. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think it's in Columbus, Ohio now, but it's been in Seattle, Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, in Canada, it's a terrific exhibition. You know. I mean, again, I can't. Be, <laughs> it, it's it's a really comprehensive exhibition, right? Uh, including you know, some rare comic art and 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 you know the you know as a curatorial consultant, as was Andy Nocenti, uh, who you must know as a Daredevil fan, <laughs> uh, um, and um, uh, and the curated um, uh, by a professor from. Um, Oregon, who um, by Ben Saunders. Okay, gotcha. Anyway, it's, a, it's an exhibition that that gets that since it's by since it has comics people like me and Annie, and also uh, academic people who really get know their comics history. It's not just oh, these cool movies are out here, stuff about the movies. It's like here's where the movies began, uh-huh. and here's what Stan Lee contributed, and Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko. You know, it it's a comprehensive exhibition. So if right. Oh, it's, it, even if you think you know everything, I think there's stuff in the exhibition you don't know or haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, that's the, okay. That's the end of the. the <laughs> well, the, I was about to say we actually had um, Matthew Smith on the show, who um, I guess helped put that uh, right. together as well too. So it's oh, it's kind of interesting how it went full circle with, with Smith and, then, and then Randy Duncan was the yes, other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we had a great conversation with him and he talked he talked to us about that uh traveling yeah. exhibition and and I need to go visit sometime. Columbus is not, you know, that far away from where I'm at and everything and I've been meaning yeah. to. But yeah, it's just kind of funny when you're talking about it. I was like that's the yeah, that's what Matt was talking about. <laughs> yeah, and Han and I co-edited the catalog, so yes. Catalog, then yeah, no, Matt, yeah, all those guys are just, yeah, they're all people passionate about comics and other mm-hmm. comics history. Um, so yeah, no, it's a uh, if you, it, it'll hopefully be coming to a city near you, but if you're anywhere <laughs> near Columbus, try to try to get to it. Yeah, you, know, you never know with these things where they're going next. Great. Well, thank you very much, Danny. I had a great time having you on the show and talking to you about your work, about Will Eisner um, and Will Eisner Week. Before I let you go, where can we find you and your work online? Um, DannyFingeroth.com. Pretty clever, eh? And, <laughs> and, my, and, and my main my main uh, social media thing is, is Facebook. You know, gotcha. that, that would be the main way to get me. So, awesome. Uh, that would be it. Well, thank you. This was great fun. And uh, – yeah, and Will Eisner, you know, and, and WillEisner.com to find everything about Will Eisner and about Will Eisner Week. You know, if you go to the go to the homepage down on the left side, there's a whole sidebar mm-hmm. uh, of links. But like I say, if you want the videos, it, you know, they're, they're great to watch anyway. The link <laughs> is weird because it's some weird YouTube thing that I don't understand. But mm-hmm. if you go to, just look up YouTube videos, uh, I'm sorry, not YouTube videos, Will Eisner Week videos or even just Will Eisner videos on YouTube. You'll find a bunch of that stuff. 
Awesome. And I'll make sure to include that, uh, those links in the show notes as well, too. So, Danny, thanks again, and best thank of luck you. to your book. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. And that wraps up another episode of The Caps in Life. I hope you enjoyed listening, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Caps in Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout-out by tagging us in your post or send us a message. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsinlife.com. Oh, 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 oh,